tastes. And um, yeah, it's wonderful. See, I'm going to pick up our series, Friend of Sinners. Uh, but in light of the passing of Her Majesty the Queen, I'm taking this talk in a slightly different direction. I'm changing the tone, I'm changing the pace, I'm changing where we're heading. Something that I found so inspiring about the Queen was that she was known for what she was for. In a world where we are known so often for what we're against or don't like, she was known for what she was for. In a world that we see tabloids attacking people based upon their opinion, the Queen stood as monarch quietly, sophisticatedly for what she was for. In a world where bad news spreads faster than good news, she was quietly, beautifully reigning for what she was for. Whether it be corgis or horses or her family or her people, it seemed that more than any other decision, she would want to be known as the Christian queen. A queen who served her heavenly king. A queen who beautifully and wonderfully did not see her reign as the ultimate reign. Her kingdom as the ultimate kingdom. Her throne as the ultimate authority in the universe. Yet being queen, she submitted herself to a, another king. Another power. A greater power. God almighty. There was this beautiful story about her mother. Her mother, when she was uh, nearly passing, uh, had, a, had a talk by one of the chaplains about the, the second coming, when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead. And um, with, with her trembling lips, she said to her chaplain afterwards, I wish, I wish I could see Jesus come back in my lifetime. And the chaplain turned to her mother and said, well, why? And she said, because I want to lay my crown at the feet of Jesus. This is the legacy of faith. Praying parents, praying monarchs, rulers who would take steadfast their commitment to praying for a nation. More than any other choice, she was known for her faith. The Washington Times marked her passing just hours after her death with this statement, the Queen's faith sustained Queen Elizabeth II throughout her life. And in times of trouble, the late Queen served longer than any British monarch. She was a woman of deep personal faith who set a lifelong example of belief. Just months after the passing of Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, her husband, of 73 years, she declared this to the nation, Christ's teachings have been the bedrock of my faith. This amazing woman with a public stage where hundreds of millions of people would hear her message said, in the darkest of days, when I'm grieving, when I'm in pain, when I'm impoverished, when I'm at my wit's end, when I do not know where else to turn, the medicine for my soul is Jesus. She's proclaiming through good days, through dark days, through the darkness of the soul. Where do I find my hope? It's in the teachings of Jesus. What authority holds most weight in my life? Well, it's the teachings of Jesus. 
this passage that I'm going to preach on, we're going to take a different direction. I hope that's okay with you. It's not really a choice, is it? But I hope it's okay with you. We're going to look at uh, Matthew 9. If you've got um, a Bible with you, taking notes, scroll down Matthew 9. Or if you've got a phone, I'd love you to Google it uh, or look it up so you can come back to it later. This is a story about Jesus. It says this, Matthew 9, 9 onwards. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. But go, learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. I want to focus on this verse just for a small time. While Jesus was having dinner with his friend Matthew, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with his disciples. It's important, isn't it, to note that um, an unshakable faith in Jesus, like we see the queen displayed, doesn't just come as a mirage, doesn't just come built on good duty, doesn't just come built in the stuff of legends doesn't just kind of last on well-being alone. There has to be something more. I think the queen's strength to lean upon Jesus in good times and bad came from one thing only. Spending time dining at his table. Spending time in the presence of the one who has come to love and restore and renew. The one who cares for you more deeply than anything else, who has your best interests at heart, the one who has the most exciting plan for your life, the miracle worker of body, mind, and soul. And I think the only way we get to enjoy this faith in a way that it's not just sort of sparked in secret or flourishing when we're in the company of Christians, but really comes alive in the world around us is if we take time to dine in the presence of Jesus, to spend time in his presence, to enjoy him, to understand what it means to have a heavenly father, a heavenly king who adores you more than anything else. I remember Rick Warren, one of the largest sort of mega church pastors in the States, uh, saying at a seminar, the, the only thing that really matters, the one thing that changes everything is that you are known by God and you know his love. It all starts in that place. And for so many of us, there'll be questions around this table of feeling unworthy or not knowing what to say or what to do or what the customs are. Like Jesus had customs, right? But for many, this is a, a trigger, a difficulty. This is a moment where we think, I'm not quite good enough, but I love this story. Throw yourself into the mix for a moment. Imagine the scene. While Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house, many, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. This is important to note. Many tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, if you've been in church for a while, you'll know what they're like. They are bad people. They're the people that you would boo out on the street. They're the people that you would avoid. They are like the bosses of the big energy firms. They are taxing the poor for their own gains. Political opinion. Personal political opinion. 
These are the guys that would be enforcing and opposing Roman tax. These are, these are not Roman citizens. These are Jews. They're imposing a tax that is not belonging to them. And these tax collectors were their own people who would tax the people. And the way they made money was they would extend the tax extortionately. And they would be ripping off people. They would be taking from your mom and your sister and your nan. They would be stealing from the people that you like on your street. They'd be stealing from the people you don't like on your street. They would be, they, they would be in the moment robbing from their own people. And they were despised and hated. And then the other sinful people, one commentator kind of leads us to believe it probably means the working women of the city, of the town, the people who have not just missed the mark a little bit, but way off the mark, the kind of people you would not bring home to your mum for Sunday lunch, the kind of people you would avoid on the street. But Jesus is there. And I imagine this party to kind of be nice and neat and civilized and, you know, like sat around my table, which probably isn't that civilized now thinking about it, but sat there upright, knife and fork in hand, politely engaging in conversation. This isn't the case at all. Like Jesus, in this moment, the way that they would have dinner is they would lean back on each other. They would recline on each other. Jesus is laying with his head on someone else's torso and someone doing the same for him. He is down and mixing with the downcast and the sinners and the people who got it wrong and the people who made bad choices and the people that were hated and disliked. Jesus isn't politely sat there. No, no, he is laying, reclining, leaning like you would on the beach or on the park with people that you love. This isn't the Jesus that's talked about in the world. This isn't the Jesus that my friends who don't know him know. This is Jesus. You know, before anything else, you need to know that Jesus is not scared of the things that you're holding from him. He's not scared of your feelings. He's not scared of your mistakes. He's not scared of your past. He's not scared of your ex. He's not scared of your secrets. He's not scared of the things that you really wish you could have done better. He is not scared of the stuff that you hold in life. His mission is to recline, to woo you into a place where you would sit back and enjoy his company. And in so get to a place where when stuff happens that really hurts and stresses and worries and takes up time in your headspace and stuff that you don't know how to deal with, you can deal with it gracefully and your friends and your colleagues and your family say like, how are you dealing with that? And your one answer is Jesus. How are you dealing with that stress? How are you dealing with that burden? How are you dealing with that grievance? How are you dealing with that? It's, it's, it's Jesus. This is the place that he is calling us to. This, um, last week, I was in prison. Um, you know, not in prison, but I was in prison. And um, I had to clarify that. I'm so sorry. And uh, I was in prison and um, got invited by the chaplain. And I was walking up and down the, the wings there was enough staff um, on the wings so we couldn't open any doors, but um, we were kind of, I was banging on these big doors, you know, like this sort of thick, and um, you get a, a kind of a glass kind of letterbox that you can open, and then there's like a little window that you can speak through, like sort of thick glass. I was walking up the corridors, banging on the doors. I said, hey, I'm a priest. Can I, do you want to chat? A lot of them told me where to go. But some of them were like, yeah, I really, I really would. And we kind of spent a, a, a quite a bit of time actually just walking up and down the wings. And... Um, 
We kind of then got into the vulnerable prisoners unit, and that's the place that they put prisoners that have done crimes that mean they're not safe on, on the general wings. Just, it's tricky. And I'm banging on one of these guys' doors, and I said to him, how are you doing? He said, I'm good. I said, really? He said, no, I'm, I'm good. I said, go on, tell us. He said, hey, there's this bunch of Christians that have been coming in. My life's a mess. I'm facing serious sentences. I'm hated wherever I go. People don't like me. My family have cut me off. I have no life. But in this cell, I get 22 hours a day to pray to be with Jesus. You know what's happened is my life has completely changed. My life is radically different because I've met this man who brings me peace and joy and hope and love. And I may be in this cell, but I've got way more life in here than I ever had out there. And he stood and we talked through this awkward door and we had to shout at each other because that's how it works. And he said, I've got life in abundance. I don't know how it works, but this man called Jesus has set me free and now I get to live beautifully. I get to have this relationship with him that changes everything. So we come back to this verse. While Jesus was having dinner 